stories of people talk about the relationship that Kobe had with his daughter and some of the things that they shared together. And there, I think you, I could kind of get the sense that, you know, he loves all of his kids, but there was this, this daughter, there was something special in her. And there, this, what was special is that some of you don't like this attitude of Kobe, but it was this black mamba attitude that he had. This just, I'm going to win and you're going to lose, and just this, this killer instinct almost. And his daughter had that same drive in her. And, you know, women's basketball, the WNBA, I don't think I've ever watched a game in my life, but this girl maybe had the potential to change that. She, she had that kind of instinct in her. And I'm sure that morning when Kobe was getting up to leave, and he was ready to go, and he was getting his daughter ready, and he was maybe kissing his wife goodbye, telling, him, telling her that he loved her, telling his other kids goodbye. I, I don't think he knew that this would be the last time that he walked out the house, that he walked out of his house. And it brings me to the title today of the sermon of someday, just not today. And what I mean by that is, it's, think of an example of how many projects do we have around our house that we maybe have started or haven't started yet. My wife will be here the second service. You can ask her. I'm sure she's got a list that I don't even know about of things that I'm supposed to start and projects that maybe I've started and I just haven't finished them. And, and what I'm really trying to say is that things I'll say, well, someday, just not today. You'll also notice that I put those in forms of a question where it's like, someday will I do it? Or someone asking me the question will say, you will do it, just not today. So today we're gonna look at a story about a guy that waited around for 38 years. His someday was 38 years in the making. It was, takes place in John, the Gospel of John chapter five takes place in a place called the Pool of Bethesda. It's, uh, right by, it's in the city of Jerusalem. It's a place where sick people came in hopes of being healed. And I'm not talking about just the sick people that maybe have a common cold or they have you know, just, a, just a temporary ailment. These are the people that were born blind or that become, became blind or were born with a physical disability or paralyzed or, or something that is that greatly affects their life. They they can't d they they have to depend on others for food and just mobility to get around. And they came to this pool wishing to be healed, wishing to be healed. That if they were the first one into this pool, that they would be healed. In fact, there was so many people around this this pool that they ended up building covered porches. They they built shade for these people, so that they would get them out of the sun. And there's be a picture, this is just a painting of maybe what this looks like. And just try to imagine, this is just one little snapshot, but a scene where there's, you can see people all over the place, and you can see many people there, and many sick and ailing people. And I don't think this was a place that everybody went to. I, don't, I just don't think that there was probably, unless you were one of the paralyzed or one of the sick, or one of the family members maybe came to visit people or if you really felt called maybe someone who gave them food and water it really wasn't a place that um, you know people just popped in just to hang out 
But there was one person that did. This one person was Jesus. Jesus came to this pool. Let's pick up our story in John 5, verse 1. It's page 1067. And the Bible's underneath your seat. It says, Sometimes, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades, which I said were porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, as I mentioned, they felt that the, if they were the first into the water, that they would be healed. And what, it, what they felt was that the water would gurgle or the, it would, something would happen, that something would stir to the water. There'd be a ripple on the water, and so there would be these, all of these paralyzed people or these handicapped people trying to get into the water to be the first one, believing that they were healed. And what they actually thought was is that there was an angel from God that would come down and he, they would stir the water somehow. And that's how they would be healed. And that the first one in was the one that would receive this healing. Let's look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That's a really dumb question. I mean, we, we've been taught that there's no such thing as a dumb question, but that's, that strikes me as a dumb question. Like, Jesus, the guy's been laying there for 38 years. I think, of course, he wants to be healed. Or did he? Did he really want to be healed? Which brings us to the first blank in our outline. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? What's holding him back from being healed? Rose Park. Who remembers the high dive at Rose Park? Good portion of it. Maybe, maybe it's still there. I don't know. I haven't been there for decades. I haven't been there for a long, long time. So I don't know if it's still there or not. But I saw that and I thought there's, when I first saw that as a little kid, I was going, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to jump off of that. There's no way. That's too scary. I thought, I don't know why, but it was, what was it, probably about 10 feet high? It wasn't overly tall, but, you know, to a little kid, it might as well have been 100 feet high looking out up like this, where now I kind of look at it like this, so it's not as scary anymore. But why didn't I want to jump off of it? Why didn't I want to jump? Exactly. I was afraid. I was afraid. It was fear. Fear kept me from diving off that. You know, I must have thought that I was going to drown, maybe break my neck. Who knows what was going through a little kid's head when I saw that. There's no way I was going to do that. So maybe the man laying by this pool, maybe he wished he was healed or he was hoping that he was healed. But did he really? Maybe he was afraid to be healed. Maybe he was too afraid to be healed. You wonder, well, why would I say that? Well, He's been here for 38 years. So maybe this is a life that he's just used to this life. This is the life he knows. He's, he's accustomed to this life. And odd enough, just laying there, I'm sure he can see everybody else around him. And he's seeing 
everybody else, they have to work hard. They have to work hard on the hot sun. They have to sweat, get stinky. And for what? To probably maybe to get the same as what he's getting at laying by this pool. Because there's probably people there that bring him water and bring him some food. These other people, they have to work for theirs. And I don't, I'm not sure I want to do that. Because if I do this, I'm laying under the shade. It's a cool breeze that blows by, keeps me cool. People bring me food and water. Why would I want to go? I wouldn't want to do that. That's, that's scary. That's, that's uncomfortable to me. But he was just, he was fearful that what his life would look like if he wasn't paralyzed anymore. If it changed. If his life changed. He was overwhelming to him. So he was too fearful to change. Maybe he just wished he was healed. That he just wished. So the next blank is a wish. You know, how often do we hear people say, I wish for this to happen. I wish for something. To wish is to, to this. It means to desire some situation that is different from the one that exists. To feel or express a strong desire for something that is not easily attainable. We want something that cannot or probably will not happen. That last sentence again. We want something that cannot or probably will not happen. Let's use the Bible to give us some examples of the word wish. First one is out of Job. This is after Job has lost almost everything. His wife has kind of lectured him. And some of his friends have kind of lectured him. And Job's just grumbling. And this is what he says. It's out of Job 10, 13. It says, why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. I don't think that's going to really happen. He's already been born. He's a grown man. I think that's impossible that he can not be born anymore. Let's look at Jonah 4.9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry with the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Again, I don't, I don't think you can wish all you want, Jonah, but I don't think you're going to be dead. One more example out of Galatians 5.12. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to motivate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Again, I don't think that somebody, a male, that's, is going to do that to himself. I just don't think he's going to it's, so that's impossible. Kind of like me in the high dive. I really had no intentions to climb up that ladder, walk out to the edge, and actually jump off. I just wished that I would do that. I wanted something that was different than reality. Something different that was, it was just never going to happen. There's no, there no way, there's nothing I would ever do. Now, we can also wish for something. I can wish for someone to walk through the door right now and have checks for a million dollars for every single one of us. But I don't think it's going to happen. It could. I mean, a Bill Gates or somebody like that could walk in and have 
you know, 100 checks and go, here you go, here you go, here you go. But it's, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. In our lives, we make decisions. We make, make choices that we've made or things that we've, we've done maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, yesterday, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. However long ago, maybe there's something in our life that we've, that we've made a decision and it affected our, our life for the rest of our life. Maybe it's you know a loss of a job or a loss of a relationship, loss of our wife, loss of our husband, lo- loss of something. You know, I can't go back and change that decision. It's impossible to do that. Now, I can change how I live from, the, from that decision on. I have some effect in that. I can, I can change some outcomes of that or choose to change and do something differently. This man laying here in this mat, he's been laying here for 38 years. I'm sure he wished to be healed I'm sure he wished that he wasn't paralyzed. But like me wanting to go off the high dive, him laying there paralyzed, was never going to happen until, unless he took some action. Because the big point is, is that if this man was paralyzed, how, it was, it's impossible for him to get in the pool first unless he did something. It's impossible because he couldn't move. So it's impossible for that. But now let's contrast that with the word hope. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. The feeling that something desired can be had or will happen. I want to read this again. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. That the feeling that something desired can be had or will happen. Do you see the difference in that word between wishing and hoping? Starting to see that? Let's look at the Bible. That'll help us define this a little bit more. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Proverbs 23.18. There is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. Psalm 71, 14. But as for me, I will always have hope. All of these verses, there's confidence in these verses. There's an expectation in these verses. There's an expectation that what is supposed to happen will happen. There's an assurance in these verses that something, that'll happen. That what I want will happen. There's a certainty about the word hope. Now, this doesn't mean that life is exactly roses, that it all is great all the time. But the one thing we have is there's always hope. We can be, we can be assured of that. We can have confidence. We can have an expectation in that word. Examples of the word hope. We can hope that the sun comes up tomorrow. Yesterday, it was kind of gloomy. It was snowing, and it was you know, kind of a yucky day in some ways. But the sun still came up, was still light. This morning, you know, we hope the sun comes up. Well, the sun came up. We can also hope that I'm done on time and I don't keep us here for till noon. But you can be assured that I will. I'll be done. Like I said, it's not always fun. 
It's not always just the way we hope it to be. Kind of like this man laying here that was paralyzed. And I think we all probably have stories of where life just is hard. Life gets difficult. But we can have this hope. Now, Brene Brown is a name that probably many of you are familiar with, or some of you know. But she describes hope as a function of perseverance, that we can do hard things. One of the quotes she says is, hope looks like I have a goal. It's reachable. I believe in my ability to get there, even if I have to plan B it. We might have to change our plans a little bit, or things might might happen that it doesn't just work out exactly the way we want it to be you know I had a goal of jumping off the the high dive at Rose Park had that goal I had that hope that one day I would do it that it was reachable but I had to believe that I wouldn't drown I had to believe in my ability that I could actually jump in swim back to the shore and and survive one thing Brene Brown put it as Dreams don't work unless we do. My dream of jumping off wouldn't work unless I do. Unless I do something. Unless I got up, walked up the ladder, went to the edge, and I jumped off. This man wouldn't be healed unless he did. Unless he did something. Just laying there wishing is not going to work. He's got to do something. So let's say it was the water that healed him. Let's say it was the water. If you were the first one in the pool, the water was what healed you. I said, this man, there's no hope of him getting there unless he did something. Unless maybe he went to his friends and he said, hey, I need help getting in here. I need help being the first one in the pool. So he had his friends so when the water stirred, they could help him get in and maybe be first at some point. But, or he could just wish and just lay there on his mat and just keep wishing never do anything but he had to do something he had to do something like Brene Brown says we do he had to do to be first he had to do something other than just lay there and wish perhaps also if he even had a clue of who this man was that came and asked him the question do you want to be healed Maybe if he even knew, he realized. Maybe if he put his hope in this man. If he had some assurance. Hebrews 11, 1, which I read, says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Maybe if he put his hope in Jesus. He, he could see how he could be healed. He could have hope in how he could be healed. He had the insurance that he could be healed. Maybe he couldn't really see how it was going to happen, but he could know it was going to happen. So where is our hope? Is our hope in Jesus? Or are we just sitting like me, sitting at the pool deck, looking at the high dive, or this man sitting at this pool, just watching, just wishing, just wishing, saying, someday, just not today. As Brene Brown said, dreams don't work unless we do. Or 
Maybe we're like this man also where we just make excuses. So why all the excuses? This man laying in the pool, like I said, he had no idea. No idea who this man was. No clue. Pick up the story in verse 7. It says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Later on, we'll even see, too, that the Jewish leaders ask him who this man was. And he goes, I don't know. Just some dude healed me. You know, I think he was maybe wrapped up in his situation. He was wrapped, so wrapped up in just his, himself or his current thing that he just, he didn't realize who was in front of him. He didn't realize that he could have, that he could put his hope in this man. And in fact, instead, I think he made an excuse. I think he made an excuse. Now, I've got a confession to make to you guys that I like food. And I like to eat lots of food. And I like to eat lots of unhealthy food. You know, I didn't get this big right here, which I'm, I'm working on it, so it's, it has gotten smaller. But um, I also discovered something else, too, that it's really not the shirts that are getting smaller. <laughs> I know, it's funny, isn't it? But it's me getting bigger. They just don't fit as well anymore. Now, I wish I could lose weight, but unless I did something, it was never going to happen. It was never, never going to happen. And there's something else that I'm also really good at. I'm good at making excuses. I'm really good at excuses is making, well, maybe someday, just not today, maybe tomorrow I'll do that. But then I look at my calendar and I go, oh, there's this lunch that I'm gonna, supposed to go to. And you know what? It's at this place I really like this food. So, well, okay, maybe tomorrow I'll do it. And then I, I look, I get home and I look, oh, it's all you can eat sushi at Nara. Oh, I can't turn that down, so I got to go there. And it's always someday. It's always just the wrong day. It's someday, just not today, maybe tomorrow. Or how about this excuse? Well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You know, it's not my fault that Stan comes into my office at noon and goes, hey, let's go to lunch. Like, I, you're not going to tell the boss, no. You can't do that. And then, you know, it's not my fault that it's because he picks these places where, you know, he makes me eat this double cheeseburger, chili <laughs> cheese fries. Oh, and the onion rings are really good, so I better have those too. And then, oh, yeah, give me a couple milkshakes also. It's not my fault. It's his fault. Excuses. Just excuses. Why well, I, I can't do it. Or it's someone else's fault. You guys kind of get the idea? Why I always make excuses of why someday's a better day. It's not today. Someday. It's never my fault. Look at look at Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh. Did he go to Nineveh right away? No. He went over here to Tarshish. He went over here because he knew something about God. He didn't like these Ninevites. And he knew that God was gracious. That he knew that God wouldn't wipe out these Ninevites if he went over there. So he ran around. He went over here hiding from God. And, he's, and he went confronted. He goes, it's not my fault. It's your fault, God. 
It's your fault because you're the one that was going to save him. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Paralytic man at this pool. Just giving Jesus an excuse of why he couldn't be healed. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's all these other people. They get in the pool first before me. I can't get in the pool first. It's their fault because they won't let me be in the pool first. It's not my fault. I think it sounds a lot like me. I'm really good at making excuses of why it's someone else's fault. When really Jesus is saying, get up. Pick up your mat. Get up. So what if I did pick up my mat? What if I stopped making excuses? I just said, you know what? Someday is today. I stopped running. I picked up my mat. You know, one day I thought I did do that. One day I thought I picked up my mat. I just said, I'm going to do something about this love of food of mine. Now, I thought, you know, okay, I'm an athlete. I was an athlete growing up in high school, so I can start doing some other things. I can start doing some things. So I, did so I started to do something really fun. I started doing endurance sports. You know, fun things like biking 100 miles or 50 miles a day. Running marathons. Sometimes even doing those both on the same day. So I had this dream of being skinny. So remember what I said, dreams don't work unless we do. So I lost weight. In fact, one time I got down to 192 pounds, which is 50 pounds less of what you currently see. Before we go on, let's pick up our story again in verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Jesus said to this man, Pick up your mat and walk. To which he did. But did he change his life? Did he really change? From the last section of this verse, it says, see you are well again. Is this implying that maybe this man wasn't always paralyzed? That there was something in his life that maybe he got that way? What kind of life was this guy living before he was paralyzed? Maybe some, some a lot like ours. Maybe it was one that we were making excuses, that we were just living in fear, that we were running, that we were wishing that things were different, wishing things that just weren't, that wouldn't happen the way they were, that we were no longer doing, that we were really living that life of just someday, just not today. Now, I'm sure you can see that I'm no longer 192 pounds. Tim, that's not funny. So what happened? 
I stopped doing. I stopped, I stopped doing things. So that whole time I was running, that whole time I was doing those endurance sports, running marathons, that I was doing those things. I was doing those things and I could eat whatever I want, do whatever I want, burn whatever calories I want because, well, I would burn like two or 3,000 calories at a time so I could, I could do that. It wasn't a big deal for me to do that. I stopped doing. My technology just went here for a second. So, but the thing was is that my sin of gluttony, my sin of just, I didn't do anything about that. I just hid that. I covered that up. And once I stopped, all that weight came back. Just came back. Like this man sinning. Still, he was still sinning. Jesus is saying, come on. Something worse is going to happen to you. Every morning, my knees beg me, will you please stop eating and lose some weight? Because they hurt. Something worse is going to happen. Now, when I'd lost all that weight, I think I was well. But I was only well physically. I didn't change. I'd still order a large pizza and eat the whole thing at one time. So did I really pick up my mat? I thought I chose someday to be today. Kind of like this man, I thought he chose someone to be today and pick up his mat, but did he really? Jesus gives us some warnings. Gives us some warnings about what may happen to you. Proverbs ten sixteen, The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is offering to heal this man both physically and spiritually. Like I said, he had no idea what this man had to offer. No idea that he could heal him physically and spiritually. Do we realize that? Do we realize that Jesus can heal us physically and spiritually? We think that we want to be healed, but in our heart, do we really want to be healed? I wanted to be skinny, but my heart was saying, you can't get rid give up that cheeseburger, man. He wouldn't let me let that cheeseburger go. I kept saying, someday, just not today. Someday, just not today, I'll make things right with God. Someday, just not today, I'll pick up my mat and be healed. Someday, just not today, I'll ask God to heal me physically and spiritually. But what if someday is too late? What if your day is today? Go back to the story of Kobe Bryant. I'm sure he didn't think his day was today. But it was today. Which brings me to the last blank of why today. I might ask that question of why not today. Now, in this story, the Jewish leaders seem to be really, really concerned with this being a Sabbath. Not that the man was healed, but that it was a Sabbath. We've already read it. The Jewish leader said, it is the Sabbath for the law forbids you to carry your mat. Not well, wow, 
how'd you get healed? But why are you carrying him out on the Sabbath? And by the way, who did that? Who's doing work? Like who's, you're doing something, not the miracle that happened. Let's finish reading the story today in verse 16. It says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave him the answer, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will be shown him, show him greater, even greater works than these so that you may be amazed. Do you see the hang-up that the Pharisees have with just the Sabbath? It's like the Sabbath is all that mattered. That's what was important was the Sabbath, this day. And I'm not saying the Sabbath isn't important. The Sabbath is important. But that's, that's a topic for another day. But I think Jesus is saying, no, God doesn't stop on the Sabbath. My father's always working. Me healing this guy, telling him to pick up his mat and walk, and walk, that's what my father would do. I'm just doing what he would do. Like father, like son. So maybe the question should be, why not today? A few weeks ago when we had that really cold spell, someone's car battery died out there. Am I supposed to just say, sorry, it's the Sabbath, I can't help you. Come back tomorrow. No. Ari and I found some jumper cables. We went out there and jumped their car and we helped them. Jesus saw a man that needed healing. He needed physical and spiritual healing. Just like a lot of us. Let's look at Matthew 12, 11 through 12. Jesus says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Does that mean I can't pray for people today to be healed? Does that mean that we're not allowed to receive Jesus today and receive spiritual and physical healing? Someday, just not today. No, our God is an all-day. He's an all-day, everyday God. Now, this man, he's been waiting around for someday. He's been waiting around for someday. And you know what? Today was the day. Two weeks ago was the day for Kobe. Now, there's a few reports circulating around, and I don't know if they're true or not true, but there's reports that Jesus went in, or Kobe went in, and he gave his life to Jesus before this helicopter crash. He didn't wait for someday or just say not today. For him, it was the day today. And he did. That's what the reports, and I don't know if they're valid, but it makes me want to ask, is today the day for you? I'm going to let Jesus heal you today. Is today the day for you to pick up your mat? Is today the day to let Jesus heal you spiritually?
going to change it someday or today. Let's pray.